0: Well, like the Macedonians, you're already ready to give, aren't you? What an opportunity we have this Christmas season to give to our international world mission offering to continue the work that's being done. all four of these needs, are, all four of these areas are extremely valuable, extremely important, and all four are doing, obviously, a great work. I want to share with you a few insights from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Paul is using the Macedonians as an example about giving. Macedonia is northern Greece, and Corinth is in southern Greece, in Aki. And Corinth is wealthy, and Macedonia is rather poor. Uh, they've had a lot of troubles in Macedonia they've had a lot of issues it's been difficult the romans when they went through macedonia they ravaged it it's a horrible thing that took place in northern greece more so than even corinth and their situation corinth was is right on the coast now in 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 greece and i say now they literally had the ability and the funds in the, the engineering to be able to dig a canal through these hills that allowed them to have access to the Aegean Sea. So it was a port city. It was a place of commerce. It was a place of trade. It was an economic center. We would think about it like we would think about it as the place of Wall Street or some other area like that that's really an intense area for economic generation, but not Macedonia. Macedonia, they struggled to eat. They struggled to make ends meet. They struggled in life. And and this is the comparison that Paul makes with the Corinthians about the giving of the Macedonians, verse 1 and 2. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. We could talk about that, I think, all day and draw testimony. The kindness of God working In the churches of Macedonia obviously was a beautiful thing. It is beautiful what God does in churches. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter how much money they have access to. It doesn't matter how wealthy the people are. When God works in poverty, when He works in wealth, when He works in in the middle of the road, when He works in places that have had relative ease, and He works in places that have had lots of hardships, it's a beautiful thing when God goes to work among God's people, and when God's people realize that their life is not for themselves, that we live not to serve our own purpose, but we live to serve the purpose of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Each one of these ministries, I mean, it's, what, what's going on in Peru is spectacular. What's going on in Cambodia What's going on with our missionaries around the world is there's so many stories that will just go, you can't, you can't give any other connection to that than the activity of the Lord. What's taking place in Uganda and such hardship and difficulties, but people are being saved. Back uh, a few months ago when I had the opportunity to be there, I, I witnessed one of the uh, services outside the gate and this fellow just comes by, and they share the gospel with people and, and talk with them. They preach the gospel there, and, and we gave an opportunity for anyone that was standing around at that point. There wasn't many, but there was a few that just walked by and just stopped and listened, and one young man said, I want this Jesus. And they prayed with him and talked with him and, and connected dots, and, and they said, we know who, where he lives. It's okay. We will follow up with him. It's a beautiful thing that the kindness of God does. It says there in verse 2, it says, They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Money does not make us happy. Money does not bring joy. That's one of the things that being on mission with Christ has revealed to me you can be in some of the poorest places in the world, and you just swear it's one of the happiest places in the world that, that these Christian people who literally don't have anything, and, and Kevin is right when he said about the Cambodians, when they pray, the Lord provide for me my daily bread, they are literally praying for rice. Lord, may I find rice today. May I have enough rice today. And, and when, because of our generosity, because of your work, because of your giving, because of your sacrifice, when we're able to give that 40 or 50-pound bag of rice to these churches, they, they spread it out. And, and, and it's an amazing thing for the gospel. I mean, the Buddhists aren't doing that. The government's not doing that. But when the Christian churches are known for being the ones that have their rice, Man, there's an opening for the gospel and 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 Kyle Y just walks right in there. It, I, I want someone with the ability to write a book about Kyle Y and Amy about what the Lord's doing there. It is it is similar to the books I've read about famous preachers. It's amazing. And I agree with Kevin. I wish I could draw a crowd. I wish I could wow a crowd. I wish I could connect with people like he does. It is. It must be what D.L. Moody was like. It it must be what some of those great preachers, Stanley Jones and those guys, were like back in the day. And and it's an amazing work of the Holy Spirit in his life. It's an amazing thing what happens when God shows up in a people and they're receptive. They give. They give. And they give because of the joy. Because of the joy that God gives them and they experience it and it's filled with rich generosity. You know, Dustin Dickerson used to sit right back there on this side of the congregation. Dustin's big. In my backyard, he picked up two 80-pound bags of cement and just walked across the yard like he was picking up, you know, two loaves of bread. And I looked over there and I've been struggling with just one deal, you know, and I'm a strapping lad. And watching him do this, I was, whoa, that boy, something else. And, and uh, not too long ago, evidently, I, I, I spoke about giving. I spoke about money, you know, and the stoves up and the, what we're doing. I'll talk about it. And uh, he said, I learned something yesterday. He came to our Bible study the next morning, and he said, I learned something. What did you learn yesterday? And he said, not too long ago, a couple years ago, you spoke on money too. He said, yeah, he said, I was mad. I was angry. And I sat there and said, I don't care what you say, you're not getting my money. And I, well, how big old boy are you, you know? We're going to go right to straddle up real quick. And uh, he said, but yesterday, I just was calculating how much can I give. That's what the Lord did in his life. That's what the Holy Spirit did. So when you have those thoughts of giving, when you have those thoughts of giving more than you can afford when you have those thoughts of being gracious in your giving, when you have those thoughts of rich generosity, understand the Macedonians did too, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses three and through five. He says, "For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more." Now, obviously, he's not—he's not commending; he's not demeaning giving what you can afford but he's commanding that they gave far more than they could afford. And I'm sure we've all got that measuring stick. We know what we can afford. and But what the Macedonians were doing was, was they were giving more than they could afford. A church our size with what we have going on and the amount of leaders and people that come to our church, we're doing far more mission work across the world, in the state, in the country, than, than probably we can afford. But the Lord just keeps on Giving and providing. And it says here that not only did they give far more than they can afford, they did it out of their own free will. It wasn't a guilt program. It wasn't coercion. It wasn't obligation. It was want to. There is much want to in this Macedonian church. There's nothing better than want to among Christian people. We don't give because we have to. We don't give because we're guilted into it. Guilt giving lasts for a little bit, you know, and, you know, we have every now and then, you know, churches have guilt programs, and and I'm sure we're not exempt from that as well, and you may even feel some guilt today, but giving out of your own free will is the beautiful aspect of giving, and that's how they gave. They gave out of their own free will. Check out verse 4, they begged us. Can you imagine that? They have begged us again, we're not going to take up an offering today. No, please, please take up an offering. We're not going to do it now. We're not going to take an offering up for two or three Sundays. No, no, please take up an offering so I can give. I mean, that's what I see here when it says, they begged us again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. You see, that's where this offering is going. Because of Jesus, because of, of, of their commitment to Christ, the Jews starved them out. The Romans starved them out, and they were hurting the Christian people in Jerusalem. And so Paul is raising up an offering for the needs they have in Jerusalem. It says in verse 5, They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So there's much want to here. They gave freely. That's what the Lord does. He works in us. And and, and, I, and just an idea for you. If you ever share with a skeptic about Jesus, talk about people that you know that give freely. Makes no sense at all. People that most of us will never meet, never come in contact with, but the Holy Spirit works in us to give beyond ourselves, to give more than we can afford. It's a beautiful testimony. And it's something that you got, it's hard to find an answer to. Only the Lord provides it. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord, and so that's what these Macedonians have going for them. That's what Paul is presenting to the Corinthian church: is they were committed to the Lord wholeheartedly. And one of the aspects, one of the byproducts of being committed to the Lord, is we give. We give more than we can afford. Christmas is an opportunity for us to do that. Verses 6 and 7. So we have urged Titus to encourage your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in many ways. Now, now, it, now in the first part of 1 Corinthians, they had a lot of work to be done, if you read through that book. You, but you notice in 2 Corinthians, it does begin to get a little better in their spiritual heart, in their heart. And, and this is what he commends them for excelling in, faith. They excelled in faith. Gifted speakers, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? They were raising up speakers, raising up preachers and teachers. They excelled in knowledge. They excelled in enthusiasm, and they excelled in love. And then Paul says, and I want you to as well excel also in the gracious act of of giving. Givers. Givers that give cheerfully. Givers that give out of love. Givers that give willingly is, is what Paul wants them to, to, to become, to have that spirit about them. And then in verses 8 and 9, he says, and if you're wondering what spirit you give in, if you're wondering you know, what the motivation is, if you're wondering what the greatest example for giving is, look at verses 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. And giving is an opportunity to express how genuine our love is. What, what, What other reason would we give to give to people that we've never seen before? To give to people... That, that don't live around us, which we're asking you to do today. That they, how genuine love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. And now look at verse 9, the example that he gives of our giving. You know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. We know the Bible tells us that when Jesus came to live in the world, the Christmas story, he emptied himself. He became willingly poor for our benefit. And the rich that we become is the rich of the heart, the richness of the heart, millionaires in the heart. Why are we millionaires in the heart? Why are we billionaires in the heart? Because we've been forgiven, because we have his grace because we have his mercy, because we have his abundant joy and his abundant life. We have things that obviously our world teaches us clearly you can't buy, abundant joy. And so he came so that we could be rich in the heart. And one of the ways that we show we're rich in the heart is by giving. Verse 10 through 14, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. So you started well, he says. That's why he sent in Titus, to encourage him. Verse 11, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. So he says, go back to that initial experience that you have, that initial grace, how you gave of yourselves and how you began to give now follow through in giving to the offering in Jerusalem. And he says, give in proportion to what you have. The truth is proportion to what you have means that he's not expecting them all to give the same amount. And, and that's not what, what's taught here. None of us give the same amount. None of us should give the same amount. We should not say up there, what, what is the least anyone can give? We'll all give that amount. And we should never lay out there, what's the most anyone can give? And let's all try to rise to that. No, some will give more than others. But the truth of the matter is, for those who give more than others, for those who give not as much as other people, it may require more faith from them because it's based on what they have to give give in proportion. Many can give much more than others. Many give less. But the thing is, it's not equal amounts, but it's the fact of equal sacrifice. And that's how we should give. That's what the scripture says. As a response to what Jesus has done for us, we give in proportion to what we have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Did you hear that? Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, if you give it willingly, if you give it from a pure motive and just a, a desire to give, an eagerness to give. We talked about that eagerness denotes what's going on in people's hearts, how they are in their heart. He says he wants them to give eagerly. And so whatever you give is acceptable. No one's going to question it. It's between you and God, in other words. And you give according to what you have, not what you don't have. And so, no guilt in our Christmas offering today that we're going to take, in our Christmas offering the rest of the month that we're going to take. And so, if you don't have the amount that the Lord's put in your heart right now to give, you can give online this week. You can write a check this week. You can put in snail mail. I understand it's 60 cents a stamp now. Put that 60 cents on there if you want to. Or drive up here and spend $345 in gas to get it up here. Right? Whatever that situation is. But give in accordance to what you have to honor God, to say thank you to him for what he's given you this past year. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. You know, our giving in our work, our ministry, does improve the quality of life for other people. But that's not the reason. Now, There's always going to be people that we can't improve the quality of life. That's not our goal. It's not the quality of life. It's, It's the opportunity for life. In many cases, it's the basics. In many cases, it's the roof over their heads. In many places, it's food on the table. In many places, it's a job to give them an opportunity. And so that's what we do. And so right now... Verse 14 says, you have plenty. Right now, you have plenty. He's speaking to the Corinthians. He's left the Macedonians. Right now, you have plenty. And I think that I can say that to 99% of us here today. Maybe you don't have as much as you want, but right now, you have plenty. Right now, you got a roof over your head. Right now, even with the recession going on, even with the inflation going on. By the way, you would look at this scripture and you would say, you know, the giving thing, maybe we should slack off this Christmas because of inflation, 8% in it. Gas prices have gone up. Food prices have gone up. $5 eggs, we, we give for $5 eggs. We're going to have to raise our egg given out here to match what Margaret has. $5 for a dozen eggs. Who in the world thought that would ever take place? And you would think that with this inflation, these things going on, and, and the difficulty economy is going on, that we should lay off the giving. Well, Paul didn't. Paul didn't. Matter of fact, the faith, the love is magnified when we give beyond inflation and reset, recession. And we come to the place where we say, God's economy is better than our economy, and, and he'll provide. And that's a wonderful tribute that God's people will give beautifully, even in recession and even in economic downturn which we're all going through today but right now you have plenty you got to think about that right now you have plenty you got enough how much needs to be left how much needs to be left after you give that's between you and the lord later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it in this way Things will be equal. Things will be equal. Look at verse 15 now. Manna mania. This is a quote from Exodus sixteen eighteen. Paul makes here. And this whole teaching about the Macedonians in chapter 7 and chapter 8 is really based on Exodus 16, 18. The Israelites had gone through the Red Sea, parted, on dry ground. God closed the door on the Egyptian army. One month into one month into the journey, not one year, one month the, the Israelites have had enough. Now, if you want to know what may be going on here for Moses, travel from Tel Aviv to America, not on the Sabbath, and see what happens. Whoa, it's an experience for all. He says in verse 15, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. One month into the situation, the Israelites say to Moses, hey, what is it here, huh? We've been out here for a month. We had roast, boiling in the pot. We had all the drink we wanted. We had all the food we wanted. And now we're out here in the wilderness with nothing, with nothing. And, and, you know, we want to go back. We've made a mistake. We're going to starve to death out here. We're starving out here. Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord speaks. And the Lord gives Moses the plan. It's a very simple plan. It's money I mean, it's food that, that they didn't earn, that they didn't make, food that, that all they've got to do is go out there and pick it up in the morning and pick it up in the evening. Quail at night and manna in the morning. Now, this scripture here is about the manna. Here's the deal with manna. God said you need to take all you need and eat all you take every single day. Because the people initially, when they saw that, that weird-looking white stuff out in the desert, and they were given the instructions to go out there and eat it, they went out there and they hoarded it. And you know what happened at night? It it just it fell to pieces. Maggots got in it, and it soured on them. It was nasty, nasty, nasty. So here's what the Lord was telling them: Six days a week, you're going to get enough for you to eat. But here's the deal. If you don't eat it, maggots are going to get in it, and they're going to be destroyed. So, eat all you need, take all you need, eat all you take. That's what he's saying to us here. And so, on the sixth day, as they prepare for the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is a holy day for the Lord, then you're going to get twice as much on the day preparing for the Sabbath, and it's going to be enough to last on the Sabbath, and on that day alone, the manna did not get maggots in it and did not waste away, and they had enough for two days, okay? Now, here's the principle of I. those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. You had to trust the Lord for his provision for tomorrow. You had to trust the Lord. You went out and took only what you need today, and you eat only what you took and, and, and you gathered it in, and if you got more people in your family, you take more manna. But you gather in, but you get just enough for the day, and you're going to trust that next morning he provides again. Christian people, we are not to hoard. We really need to think about how big our barns need to be. We need to think about how much money we need to lose in the stock market. We need to be thinking about how much we have for that rainy day. Our church needs to think about that. I mean, are we living the manna principle when we've got a large amount of money in the bank? That's a real important thing that all of us need to do. Are we living by faith? Are we living by manna mania when it comes to our assets and our wealth building and all that we have? Because we have been all taught that the American way is to build yourself a nest egg. Nothing wrong with that, right? It's, the question is, how much is too much? How much is unneeded? How much money does it require us not to trust the Lord with the manna for the next day? And so when it comes to giving, when it comes to being right with God, with what he's given us, we've got to ask ourselves those questions. Those are biblical questions to ask ourselves. Biblical questions to ask ourselves. Are we trusting the Lord with what we've been given? Between you and the Lord, we begin our Christmas offering. We begin our year-end offering for here. We begin, what amount expresses your faith and love? Help us, Lord, to give according to your instructions. Willingly, willingly, not coerced, just by your spirit leading and guiding each one of us, giving as you direct us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.